broadcasting live from my pure hatred of Jawas. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother, and it is good to be back for our first show of 2022. We're almost a month in. I think we took a little longer hiatus for the holidays than we anticipated, just because COVID weirdness is still going on, and uh, we're both very busy with our jobs and our families and everything else. But, I mean, frankly, there hasn't been that much to talk about. Yeah, there's, you know, it's early January. All the exciting stuff happened around Christmas, and now we're going to get lulled into an era of not super exciting stuff until probably closer to the summer. But, you know, we still got plenty of Disney Plus stuff to talk about because they'll never let us not. And uh, because of how kind of slow it's been, I mean, there have been delays and things like that that we've said we're just pretty much not going to talk about anymore. Our only real news this week is... There have been just a onslaught of celebrity deaths uh, since the last time we recorded. Betty White, Bob Saget, Sidney Poitier, and Peter Bogdanovich have all passed away. Media cultural icons, uh, all in their own right. Betty White, obviously, just shy, tragically, of her hundredth birthday. Yeah, just a, a really big lineup to lose all right in a row. Yeah, Betty White has, you know, she's been very healthy, and she was about to celebrate 100, of course, like a lot of people knew. But, you know, Bob Saget, very much younger and very much more sudden, I think. You know, I loved America's Funniest Home Videos growing up, of course. Absolute icon for that. And Full House, a very wholesome version of Bob Saget that I only (laughs) knew for so long. I was very horrified when I finally learned you know, about his his stand-up personality, but, you know, very heartbreaking to see him go. Um, And I also know that we don't really talk about the show anymore because of how bad the ending is, but he is so much, I think, of what makes How Much Your Mother so charming, too. I mean, he's the narrator oh, of every yeah, episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that Ted Mosby grows up from an adult into Bob Saget at some point, and they never show it. <laughs> With that, there's that new How Much Your how Father, much father? Which I think is... <laughs> Meg Ryan, maybe? And I heard it's so bad, but I mean, what what did you expect? Sidney Poitier, I think this one is one of the only deaths that could potentially overshadow Betty White, because, I mean, not only just an absolutely earth-shattering, groundbreakingly good actor, mm. but um, a civil rights activist and somebody that broke a lot of color barriers in Hollywood. There was a really, really great... Denzel interview that went viral around the time that City Poitier died that uh, I encourage people to go look up where he's basically talking about how simultaneously like how it was really frustrating to him that he always got compared to City Poitier because it's not like he's like there's not only two black actors and you mm. should let every actor be their own person and not just put him in the box with Poitier because they're both African-American but also how simultaneously flattered he was to be compared <laughs> to Poitier. I mean, Denzel is a great interview, and I think he has a lot of really interesting things to say about him. And he th- famously thanked him in his Oscar speech. Like, just worth looking up things that Denzel Washington has had to say, because I think that, that, was an in- they're, that they're interesting cultural icons to juxtapose. Yeah, that is really cool. I will definitely look up that interview. Um, and, like, Bogdanovich, too is a filmmaker that's extremely important to me. I think What's Up, Doc is a revelation. 
Last Picture Show is incredibly moving. Portrait of the American South in decline. Paper Moon just rocks. You know, he's just a good, good filmmaker. Also on How I Met Your Mother, I'm realizing, I don't know, playing himself. Great stint on The Sopranos, playing Tony Soprano's therapist's therapist. <laughs> That's pretty good. I'm I'm looking at all of these movies now. I'm realizing I've never seen a single Peter Bogdanovich movie. Oh, Seamus, that's crazy. I know. I think I've just opened up a whole new vein of movies we need to watch together. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you will be obsessed with What's <laughs> Up, Doc. Austin Pendleton in that movie is one of the funniest supporting performances of all time, and he's going up against, like, Madeline Kahn. Oh, so... no kidding. All right, yeah, let's let's do it, man. You got, you got a Blu-ray sitting around somewhere? I don't think I do have any Bogdanoviches uh, physically, but... I remember a few years back, there was a great, back on Filmstruck, R.I.P., Ooh, yeah. um, they had a collection of, like, all of his films, and it was really fantastic, and I remember, I'd seen a lot of them already, but just uh, sitting at work, working an overnight desk shift, binging Bogdanovich. <laughs> binging Bogdanovich sounds like a great podcast idea, where we just watch his entire filmography in one long stint. That'd be great, especially considering that I think a, a lesser-known aspect of Bogdanovich's life is that he was a great film historian. Like, hmm. he interviewed and made documentaries about crazy Hollywood legends. Um, He was a great friend of Orson Welles. Uh, they had a very tumultuous relationship, and Bogdanovich spent a great many years towards the end of his life actually finishing... Uh, Wells's last project that oh, wow. never got finished. That it's on Netflix right now. You could go watch it, and I stupidly haven't. It's called The Other Side of the Wind. Bogdanovich studied under Roger Corman, like got his start with oh, Roger wow. Corman. Um, I think I've told you the story, Seamus, about Bogdanovich's first movie, Targets, was made when he was working for Roger Corman. Roger Corman had hired Boris Karloff to do this movie. That had wrapped early because it was Roger Corman movie. And he had Karloff under contract for two extra days. And he went to Bogdanovich. He said, you write a movie that you can use Boris Karloff for. In, and you only shoot with Karloff for two days. And I'll let you make it. And I'll let you direct it. <laughs> that is incredible. And it's uh, he made Targets, which is still to this day probably the best movie I've seen about mass shootings. Um, oh, wow. It was made in like the 60s. Well, that is more prevalent than it probably has ever been today, so that would be a, a hell of a movie to check up on after all that time. So yeah, Bogdanovich, a really great, prolific filmmaker, film historian, Poitier, a uh, historic figure, uh, a great artist um, and, and activist, Bob Saget, a funny stand-up comedian, gone before his time, and Betty White exiting, as always, with some decent comic timing. Truly, truly. They will all they all leave great legacies behind. But uh, speaking of legacy, I wanted to say great legacies. <laughs> Should we talk about the Book of Boba Fett, chapters 1 through 3? I think we have a lot to talk about. Let's get into it. For today's main segment, we're going to be talking about episodes 1 through 3 of the Book of Boba Fett. Normally, I think when we do these kind of TV shows, we we do we just go into spoilers straight off the bat, but we've got enough to talk about, I think probably tonally and conceptually that we can we can do a little general thoughts first, Seamus. Yeah, sure. 
general thoughts about this the start of this. I am generally thinking that there is a lot of cool stuff they're doing and a lot of interesting ways that they're taking this character that I might not have initially thought that they would. And I would like to see how they're going to expand a little more. These first three episodes were a little slow, close together. I don't know what you, you want to you call it. You can say that nothing happens, Seamus. It's okay. Nothing really happens, you know? It's very, it's, 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 they're making it very dramatic and seeming that a lot of things happen. And granted, there's a very big reliance on flashbacks right now to show the distance between the Sarlacc in episode six and what happens in the Mandalorian. And I have got to say, I'm, I'm, Definitely enjoying the flashbacks a lot more than I thought I would, but I think that's because I'm comparing it to what they're doing a lot in the present day of post-season two Mando, and how I want to see more actual cool stuff happen in present day, but they're really kind of, they're dragging it out, they're chopping up what I want to see a little bit, and making it stretch, I feel like, for what this series is going to be. But what, what are you thinking after these first three episodes? I'm kind of miserable, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Uh, I just have no motivation to watch it. Like, it was such a chore to watch episode three to me. Uh, it's not that I that there aren't elements of it I like. I think Timur Morrison is funny and doing mm. a good job with the material he's been given. Ming-Na Wen has, is just criminally underutilized, has literally nothing to do. It's not that I am, like, a little fanboy who's upset about, oh, Boba Fett's supposed to be cool and kill people and whatever. Like, I don't... I think it's great that we're giving Boba Fett more characterization. I just wish that any of it were more interesting. Because you can do slow-burn political stuff in Star Wars that is interesting. I think about the Ryloth arc on Season 1 of The Bad Batch. Mm. That is the most interesting politics I've ever seen in Star Wars. And it has none of the main characters in it really at all and i'm like where is that here I, because i think you're they're trying really hard to set up like all of these like almost noir-esque like power players in the mm. in the seedy streets of mas espa <laughs> and i don't care even a little bit i think that the flashback structure is really forced and weird because I, I'm starting to wonder, I'm sure, I know because of the way storytelling structure works that these two storylines will come together at some point. But as it stands right now, I agree with you that I'm way more invested in the flashback stuff. And that even though there are some problems I have with it that we'll get into in spoilers, I, I yeah, I, I don't care about Boba Fett, <laughs> as you know. Um, I've of said course. that many times on this podcast. It's just not a character. I think the most interesting Boba Fett's ever been is his Clone Wars episodes, where he's like this young, hot-headed kid that is, mm -hmm. you know, trying to assume the mantle that his father left behind. I like that part of his character, which we're getting a little bit of, you know, some of the flashbacks do allude to that, which I like. Even Not even the, the characters I'm excited to pop, that I've seen pop up that we won't talk about have been enough to really engage me on this and I'm, I'm sorry to say it because there's been so much really good nuanced adult storytelling going on in star wars lately with both the high republic and i think the bad batch despite being mm -hmm. a show that's more technically for kids has a lot more going going on and i think all of the problems that i had with robert rodriguez's episode of season two of the mandalorian have translated to this 
and I love Robert Rodriguez as a filmmaker, but I just don't think that his idea of like what Star Wars is tonally meshes very well with with what I enjoy about it as a property. Or even specifically with the idea of Boba Fett as like the linchpin of everything. He's a very gritty and down in the dirt. There is a way that Robert Rodriguez does things that feels like we're not quite in the dirt where we should be. And maybe that's another piece of the puzzle where the writing of this character is kind of pivoting after what we've seen his character be reintroduced as in The Mandalorian. But I think that there is, like I said, plenty of time for them to bump it up a little bit. Get us get us somewhere towards the end of this series that will make us... Because this series is supposed to finally make people like you who understand that Boba Fett was just like a cool toy to sell in 1983. They're trying to they're trying to give the substance to that character that we've seen he can kind of have through the Clone Wars and the Mandalorian, but now that he's got the spotlight again, there it's a little bit of a bungle and I'm hoping that do, do we know, is this a limited series or is this a is this a they ongoing? Very very intentionally have not said. <laughs> Cuz to me this feels like they're going to go for the multiple seasons. I think that they're really going with the slow burn, but if they were halfway close to halfway through this season already they're not they're gonna be spinning their wheels by the time we get to the finale i think they're gonna be setting up a lot more about maybe other things outside of moss espa yeah i think if the intention was for this to be a limited series things would be happening exactly but i mean conceptually just like broadly about this series something i said when they announced it or even when they reintroduced boba fett in mandalorian season two is for me it all goes back to the mandalorian always struck me as the Boba Fett show where we can actually just do what we want. Mm. Like, we have a bounty hunter who wears Mandalorian armor, who's cool and kind of silent and kind of tough, but we get to get into his psyche and open him up more and see what what makes him tick. And we have we have an IG droid who's not that IG droid, but he's kind of similar. We got sure, Trandoshans, yeah. but not those Trandoshans <laughs> because we have a bigger sandbox to play in. And it's... Uh, Obviously, the Mandalorian works so well that they were like, no, but now we have to do it the other th- with the other thing. And it just that's so much less interesting to me, fundamentally. I think I don't understand why the show exists, and nothing in these first three episodes has served to justify to me why this series exists. Yeah, I, I think we're, we're pretty on the same page here, and I'd love to get into some of the details that are making us think this way, because there, there are a lot of details that <laughs> we need to touch on. Okay, uh, to wrap up, non-spoiler thoughts, Seamus, who, if anyone, would you recommend this show to? At, at, at first, in the first couple episodes, I was thinking maybe this is for some of the people who didn't necessarily get hooked on The Mandalorian, but they still have that twinge of original trilogy loyalty where they want to give it a shot for just the sake of Boba Fett. But even now, I'm thinking maybe I would like to see more before I would recommend it to any kind of, you know, any level of Star Wars purist because it is... It's very new, and it's kind of all over the place, and I think right now it's just for people who love the Mandalorian and need, like, a a methadone fix of Mandalorian content before we get the real stuff again. So, I guess it's for anybody who's just biding their time for the Mandalorian Season 3. That's kind of where I'm at, too, I think. I think it's like, 
This seems to just be a thing to give people the the sweet sweet content they're mm. looking for, but it doesn't. For as of yet to me, I don't think it's done anything. Where like my friend Sean, he is a big Star Wars guy, but he doesn't watch the shows. He was kind of talking about it to me, the show, because you know Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, and I and I just don't think. That I this show hasn't yet to me shown me anything where I'm like, yeah, Sean, get in on get in on Boba Fett because I don't think it's frankly worth his time. Uh, like I said, I, I got my fingers crossed for the upcoming episodes. I, I don't even remember how long this first season is going to be, but I, I think it's like eight or nine episodes. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I wish enough, I did, Seamus. <laughs> it's long enough for them to throw some curveballs in here that would really, you know, jolt a lot of energy into what I like. You were you were saying before. I'm not I'm not excited to watch this in the same way that I was excited weekly for The Mandalorian because this is is very different feeling and maybe it'll fold back into what's coming up on The Mandalorian or maybe it'll you know Ahsoka or any infinite tie-ins that they could, you know, juice into this Boba Fett corpse. But right now, it's not doing it for me. But yeah, let's talk spoilers, because I think actually some of our more positive things are going to come from spoilers. Yeah, I, um, I think so. Because they're like specific elements of the series I liked. So let's, do you just want to mark spoilers for all three chapters and yeah. just talk about them as one piece? Let's let's jump around. Let's Let's really go all around to see what stands out. Big up top, two characters I was very excited to see in this, because I am a dumb fanboy who likes to know what things are. Uh, Black Kersentan from the Dr. Afra comics, the big Wookiee, Black Wookiee bounty hunter. Um, Kersentan? Kersentan. Because that's that's what they were calling him, they weren't calling him. Or Kersantan, she said, uh, uh, Fennec said like Kersantan or something, but I've just always, you know. Sure, yeah, you've read it. You get it. The, that guy. Yeah, he's cool. Um, I like him. I don't know as much about him as you do, but I very much enjoyed those electro knuckles that he was just wailing on Boba Fett with. Another thing where I wished, like, it seemed like he served any function at all. He just showed up. They beat him up for a little. It has the same problem that, like, every Disney Plus show has for me. Like, not Star, not just Star Wars, but, like, the Marvel shows have it, too. The live-action ones. Where... Uh, an episode spins its wheels until there's like a fight scene at the end, and then the the episode just ends. Um, and there, <laughs> I don't feel stakes, I don't feel consequences, I don't feel kineticism. I just feel like it's just the content machine delivering me my yeah. weekly episode. Um, and that I don't know if we want to jump right ahead to this, but the two and a half hour long uh, speeder chase in episode three where I was... went and filled my Brita in the middle of it came back and they were still chasing each other through they, the streets of Mas Espa. They did the same thing like three times in a row where it's like there's someone crossing the street and then they turn in surprise and then they almost get hit and then they zoom right past them and they do that like four like I don't remember how long the chase <sighs> actually was but it was too long. Far too long. It, I liked the pit droid gag. That was the only one that like got me, where it collapsed yeah, sure. itself to get under the speeder. And I liked that. I, like shook his fist after them. Yeah, that I'll take. But just like every every time, there's that many <laughs> times, or like just like running into a fruit stand or a bunch of boxes. They just or like fifteen fruit stands. It's like 
they filmed every cutaway in a chase scene and then they just put them all in there instead of picking the best ones. Honestly, I think if you went through the first two seasons of Star Wars Rebels and just cut every single speeder bike chase together, <laughs> it would still probably be shorter than this exact one. It's it's insane. And I, I, we might as well talk about it now. We have our augmented like millennial speeder moped gang. Which I, you know, they haven't done anything really yet, so there's room for them to to shape up a little more. But it's it's spy kids to me, you know. It really yeah. is just like you work for me now, you delinquent kids who I'm gonna bring under my wing to, you know. It's not like an army. It's not like they're that capable. Even it takes seven of them to take down the Wookie guy. I actually think that, well, first of all, I think he, Wookie guy, um, Black is, this carousel. is gonna be, se- this is gonna make me sound so stupid. I think they really nerfed him from the comics. Like, oh, yeah? in the comics, he would have literally ripped them apart. All of them. Um, That's kind of what I, when you were, you floated to me that this was a character that was pretty hardcore in the extended stuff but that's kind of the vibe when you were telling me about him i was like oh this is like a actual threat to maybe some characters nope. here but no. <laughs> not even a little bit uh, uh didn't even didn't even rip the arms off a of gamorian like i was hoping you would i was um, for sure those that's where those gamorians at least one of them i mean one of them got bit in the neck i thought one of them was gonna seriously die but yeah the speeder bike gang i actually first of all a lot of people are upset about it because uh reasons i don't know i think it's fine i think they're like they're american graffiti they're george lucas they're like yeah sure they work for me in that regard and i actually like that it's showing that's just the most this is the best storytelling in the present day stuff in terms of it's showing a tangible way that boba fett is trying to clean up the streets not by force or by violence, mm. but by giving out jobs. Uh, every, um, that by he's trying to create like actual solutions to problems and not just perpetuate the ongoing system of of corruption and abuse that has put Mas Espa in the situation it's in. So it's showing that he's making things better for these people, underprivileged people, and also the way that like Stephen Root's character love to see him pop up of course oh, yeah totally is upset by that like it's showing that shaking up the status quo is going to make you enemies in a way that's way more interesting to me than like the huts or the mayor or the mayor's aide who's the shrink from groundhog day <laughs> um like they i don't care about any of that but i think that that there is actual human tension and conflict not super compelling mind you, in the way that the speeder bike gang kind of were ingratiated to Boba's circle. So, like, that worked for me more than most of the other stuff, frankly. And a lot of what you're saying is more than likely how the idea of this big crime syndicate coming to move into Jabba's old territory is going to work out. It's going to kind of be that... Well, I mean, I, for one, think that he's... Like, Jabba's palace is going to be done for by the end of the season. I think it's going to be... That'd be cool. I like that. He's going to try his best. He's going to fight his fight, and he's going to have to move on after the territory is claimed, or he's going to kind of like, you know, from all the flashbacks with the Tusken Raiders, which we haven't even touched on yet, the way more respect that he has for, like, the natives of a, of a place that they call their home, you know, rising up with the people in the streets who are getting gouged on water prices and having decisions made for them by the, you know, four warlords that control the territory or whatever. And that I wouldn't 
mind at all, for sure. I think that goes back with what you were saying of, like, he is a character who isn't necessarily trying to just hammer everything into where he wants it to be like he could. He's trying to, like, make that change, bringing that respect in after being saved from the Sarlacc and the Jawas that rob him at gunpoint. <laughs> it's It's very... It's an interesting place that they could go with it, I think. But I don't know. There's... Well, you mentioned the uh, the flashback sequences, which I think, as previously mentioned, are much more compelling with the Tusken Raiders. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem with them is that I feel like his characterization is immediately like he was when he showed up on Boba Fett or on Mandalorian. I 100% agree with where you're going with this. Like, they need... I. If we're gonna do this flashback structure, make him uh, an a hole. Yeah, make I him the don't ruthless... like. There's not another word. Like, I want him to be the bad guy that Boba Fett should be at the beginning. Like, like, I have he, no problem. He with needs to be the guy that him. needed to be warned that he should not be disintegrating people at one point. Like, no yeah, disintegration is Boba Fett. You a hole. Yeah, like Tuscan Raiders. Like, I love them. Like, like the, him earning their respect, mm-hmm. humanizing them, doing the whole Lawrence of Arabia. thing with the train train is awesome that's all great and i feel like i would be so much more on board with the show if they had just done a little bit more work at the beginning to really show me that this guy's still a bastard and that he's learning to be better based on his experience with the tuscans because it's like he went into that sarlacc and came out a completely different man and um yeah you're totally right and it would make a lot more compelling storytelling sense to cut back to him as the daimyo trying to like be justice versus him like maybe still doing some bounty hunter stuff to get back on his feet not immediately like indoctrinated and given a a staff and a robe and taught how to dig for the water and and again i liked it a lot it is very lawrence of arabia and i'm all about that kind of stuff but you're not wrong that it should have been maybe a little more danger i guess we still have more flashback stuff to go to get caught up but right away he's in he's with the tuscans pretty much and he is a prisoner and he has to kind of assimilate a little more but maybe it's how they structured the flashback but it really did not seem like he earned that much along the way i agree just like i've been enjoying the characterization of the tuscans in mando as like more human Mm -hmm. i've really enjoyed the way they're characterized in this there's a really fantastic twitter thread that i read a couple weeks ago from uh at darth sienna on twitter where she uh as an indigenous person was talking about the tuscans as an indigenous allegory and how i mean in the original star wars trilogy and frankly the prequels they function in the way that native americans function in western films from like the 30s through the 60s yeah like Um, a mystic dangerous force yeah in that by humanizing them and obviously being informed by Native American traditions in in making their culture more complex, those are all, like, really positive steps that the Book of Boba Fett is taking, not to mention the fact that Tamir Morrison is an, an indigenous, not an indigenous American, but uh, an indigenous person himself, so that there's a power in that, but that they... The thing that this person was afraid of that I had also given thought to and turned out to be true in episode three is that it feels like they were just humanizing those Tuscans to slaughter them to give Boba better motivation. And that is a little frustrating to me. Yeah, for a while there, I was really 
banking on like a all right this is gonna he's gonna be the daimyo over here and he's gonna invite like an integration of culture and a little more understanding between the settlers in Mos Ispa and the Tuscans out in the Dune Sea and how that could have more than easily been a, a very good integration of that newer perspective that he gained in these flashbacks but like you said they was just like let's like give them some of the most interesting culture and history that we've ever seen Tuscan Raiders have on screen period and then let's just we'll make sure we'll make absolutely sure that they are done for as soon as he leaves their as soon as he leaves that place, he is he comes back to smoldering ruins. Yeah, it's I I do like the trajectory that they're going with him in the flashbacks now, where it seems like he's gonna kind of fistful of dollars the Pike Syndicate. Uh, yeah, that is pretty tight. I like that. But I'm just not the stuff that I liked about the flashbacks. They've kind of stepped on is basically what all of that is to say. Which. I, again, it, as maybe one of the better best parts of the entire show right now, it is not a good choice that that is the direction they chose to go. And I, ah, God, God help me, I'm still holding out hope. I'm hoping that what was the syndicate that the twin huts said that we're coming in to claim the territory? That's also the Pikes. So still the this Pikes? is where we're going to see Boba's actions of the past probably catch up with him in the present, which is mm. going to be hopefully more compelling, but also you never know. We'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm excited to see our Wookiee gentleman back at some point because it's, uh, you know, the old Wookiee life debt. I don't know how much he, uh, <laughs> I don't know how much he follows that, but as far as I know, he might, he's probably going to be back as a lieutenant guy. But we have not talked about what is definitively the best part of this series, that being one Max Rebo. I couldn't believe my... I'm almost surprised they didn't, like, give more time to Max Rebo. Like, he's there, and it's confirmed a la Lego holiday special that he is all good <laughs> and that he too survived. Not even in the flashback. We don't see him like wiggling his blue legs in the sand or something. I don't know. But I'm, I'm very happy to see him back. I, for a second there, I thought you were going to say the best part of the show, Matt Barry as Droid That's also pretty good. The guy who was torturing gonk droids back in Jabba's is dungeon. Is that the same guy? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Matt Barry's been here all along. Yeah, I mean, like, the, the cameos in this are great. We already talked about Stephen Root, Matt Barry, Danny Trejo, he's the Rancor Keeper. Oh, yeah. I actually really liked that scene with the Rancor Keeper. Where he's explaining, like, the imprinting and the... Yeah, and, like, showing Boba being gentle to this creature. Yeah, I like that, um, too. And how we're definitely like, gonna get cool. to see him ride that thing at the end of the season like omega omega oh do you think this is the rancor from from bad batch no but omega no? rides the rancor at the end of that episode why don't i mean i know it wasn't the rank that like where that rancor is going to show up somewhere i guess it'll probably be at bad batch again but i don't know whatever i don't need everything <laughs> to be everything you know, i know I, just... I know but like i don't know how many people just have rancors lying around you know i thought it was kind of a rarity i don't know i don't think it's out of the question for omega to show up on this show to be honest but that would be totally kick-ass to be like hey you're like technically my dad brother so we should hang out i mean that doesn't seem to be the trajectory of the show but the show doesn't seem to have much of a trajectory yeah exactly i think that they're i think they're biding their time for more important episode positions 
predictions in the season to drop some bigger stuff. I think they were getting their footing with the first three, or well, trying to get their footing with the first three, and then they they have a lot of stuff locked and loaded. I'm thinking, yeah, we're getting so much Jabba's Palace imagery of, like, the little spider droid with the orange goop and the Gamorrean guards and the Rancor, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more. And, you know, Max Rebo, even, he... he does stuff there we'll, we'll see more exciting cameos maybe less Jabba specific but but it, once again just it comes back to me that all of this stuff ultimately feels like like I feel like the Disney Plus shows have been except for season one of the Mandalorian which I was incredibly fond of have turned into it's just like post credit scenes that are entire series <laughs> like it's just it's just the setup it's the mechanism to deliver the big twist the big reveal the big cameo yeah you're not you're not wrong I've, i definitely and i will also say i think mando season two does it very effectively with stuff like the ahsoka stuff and, and all oh that, yeah the but... ahsoka episode's great like they're it can be done well but but this is is the the vibes i'm getting from these first three episodes tell me that there are going to be big implications for the future of present day stuff and it might not be done the way that I would necessarily want it to be done but I like you were saying I still have a lot of faith in Robert Rodriguez's whacked out mind that he could pull some very interesting stuff out and do it in a very well done way but I would like fewer <laughs> speeder chases and you know a little more substance to go on I maybe another because I know episode two was like pretty much a full flashback episode I'm not even necessarily and it thinking... was the best of the three so look exactly. at that exactly i'm saying like maybe we'll get a one or two more of those of where you know you can bridge the gap for that and where he starts off with in mando but i don't know <laughs> i'm waiting for next wednesday I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that we get some more something good me too me too i mean like there are good things i just don't care is really my vibe on this yeah, yeah and that's and that is okay as as people who have dedicated a maybe unhealthy amount of their lives to star wars this <laughs> <laughs> one piece of it not clicking entirely for us i think is okay that 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 it should happen sometimes i mean i don't want to i don't want to tease too early for next week but i mean the star wars content we have to talk about next week i think you and i are going to be just you know fawning over for the entire episode <laughs> yeah so. it is going to be kind of a big split i think but god help us we'll get we'll get some crossover on disney plus at some point boba fett and, and avar chris the, <laughs> the force ghost of avar chris uh, Boba Fett's suddenly Force-sensitive and a Jedi. Deal with it. And he's the clone of... Jango wasn't the cloner guy. Was he? They're all clones of a, of a High Republic Mandalorian Jedi who also... Uh, I, I don't... I lost it all. <laughs> this, is all, this is all better than some of the stuff we've been seeing anyway, so who, who knows? <laughs> all right, should we, should we reference it up, though? Let's do it. This week's pop culture reference is the expanded universe history of Boba Fett. The recent recontextualization of a post-Return of the Jedi Boba Fett was introduced to audiences in The Mandalorian Season 2, with the character's first chronological, canon, live-action appearance since 1983. While this was a major shock to many fans that believed that the Sarlacc Pit on Tatooine was the final resting place for the Fett bloodline, those who had read the various expanded universe novels before Disney deemed them non-canon legends knew that there was always a possibility of his return. 
Though these stories are open inspiration for the future of the character, and can already be seen subtly influencing the Book of Boba Fett series on Disney+, many differences in Fett's personal history have been changed to adapt to this new era of his character. Fett's survival in the Sarlacc, while still utilizing his Mandalorian armor and jetpack, did not lead him into the hands of Tusken Raiders as the Book of Boba Fett has shown, but instead, into the sandcrawler of some scavenging Jawas, and right back into the direct path of Han Solo and the Skywalker twins, and swiftly, then, back into the Sarlacc pit. Then, after being rescued by fellow bounty hunter and headscarf fashion icon Dengar, <laughs> Fett... <laughs> Fett returned to a life of high-profile bounty hunting in the wake of the fall of the Galactic Empire. He would also work with and against other iconic bounty hunters such as Bosk and utilize a plethora of new ships with this classic slave designation, all while most influential people in the galaxy believed him to be dead after his second descent into the Sarlacc. His stoic and respect-driven choices can be seen in both versions of Fett's character, and specifics like him being initially found by Jawas are still being worked in. But the EU is based in another lifetime of bounty hunting and personal vendettas to solve, rather than the Book of Boba Fett settling him back in Mos Ispa to Jabba's palace as the new Daimyo. Seamus, where does Patton Oswalt's episode 7 rant from Parks and Recreation fit into all the <laughs> legends and canon nonsense? I, I think... From the very brief mention of it in that, I think that is, like, actually what the books are about, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's real novels, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I I was never a big expanded universe guy, but it only makes sense to me that like I, people are mad that that that, they've, that Star Wars has bought has brought Boba Fett back, but it always made sense to me for that character to survive past the Sarlacc pit because that's such an underwhelming way to dispose of a character that has been built up as if not competent, at least menacing. I yeah, totally agree. I I never got too far. I I don't think I've ever read an EU novel, but I would definitely love to have heard many of them are, are very well done but i it was always in the air around all of the other star wars stuff that i was obsessed with that boba fett was out there somewhere doing doing stuff and you know what 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 do you think in terms of would you rather have seen him go back to more of a i guess that's kind of what the mandalorian series has turned more into is the bounty hunting stuff but now we have like emperor king boba fett doing his thing in mos Ispa, and I, i'm wondering which one you would have rather maybe had i think conceptually i'm more engaged in what they are choosing to do on book of boba fett i think i agree with you mandalorian's got that kind of bounty hunting thing down if you're itching for that kind of bounty hunter boba fett i highly recommend looking at some of the more recent comics that they've done especially the big crossover comics event war of the bounty hunters mm. uh, which he is essentially the lead character of it's while he's transporting Han Solo to Jabba the Hutt, all the troubles and complications and other mm -hmm. syndicates and other bounty hunters and things that he runs into along the way, which is cool, and I like it, but again, doesn't feel super consistent with the direction that they're moving with him in The Mandalorian, and I, I think that this idea of Boba Fett, his past catching up with him, trying to right some of his wrongs, spending more time in the political underbelly of Mos Espa, and thinking about the Hutts, that's all cool, and I like all that, it's just that I don't think it's being being executed super well on screen right now yeah i i i feel what you're i feel what you're saying there i think that i like the entire main segment i was 
saying I think there's a lot of room for improvement, but they have the opportunity to really do that. But it it makes me it makes me think about what we could have had with more of a I don't know what to say so like lawful evil style Boba where he he's a lot less merciful and a little more bloodthirsty, kind of like how we were told to think of him throughout the original trilogy is basically like this the most notorious masked bounty hunter out there and I think that they could have sprinkled a little bit more of that in through his I, I guess we still have flashbacks to go see if that stuck with him a little bit after the Tuscans but I don't know I think there I would love to see Dengar again I guess is what I'm really saying I think I would love <laughs> to see him show up on the Book of Boba Fett uh, I think if they didn't do Werner Herzog already in the Mandalorian I would love to have seen him in oh a that would have been so head scarf. good would that not have been like the perfect cast ah, I don't know what could have been I mean, like John Malkovich, I guess. Oh, that would be, be okay. kick-ass too. Uh, John Mal—I mean, not the Werner Herzog. I don't think I had any, had any patience for Star Wars, but John <laughs> Malkovich, especially, I can't imagine being like, "I'm a what? <laughs> what? He's just like a guy. He's just a bounty hunter guy." I'm not putting that thing on my <laughs> head. Oh, uh, his beautiful high voice coming out of that head wrap. I love Sean Malkovich. <laughs> Me too. I'd like to see I'd like to see most high profile actors and filmmakers dabble in Star Wars at some point, Werner Herzog style. And just a, a quick other aside, um Willem Dafoe as Bosk. Thank you. I rest my case. He can do that kind of thing, can That's he? That's what I'm talking about. He got a little croaky, a little slithery with his voice. He could do it. It'd be a lot of makeup, but he could do it. <laughs> Yeah, because I'm sure Bosk isn't going to be full CG when what? he shows they, up at the had, end of the season. They had Treadosians in like the first episode of Boba, and they looked like really good. They, I think they were they didn't look super CG to me. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I forgot and about you, that with their you, weird blinking. Yeah, see Treadosians <laughs> blink. Yeah, right. And you you know Willem would be like, no, put me in the makeup. I want to be in the makeup. <laughs> He's even always talking he, like Green Goblin. Even though he didn't wear the mask, he wouldn't wear the mask in Spider-Man. He's going to sit and get well, mask thought, makeup done. I thought his whole thing was like, I want to do all my own. Oh, because he he wanted to smash the mask at the beginning. Is that what you're saying? I don't know what I, I just I don't know. I, I know he know. was like, I'll, I'll only be in the new Spider-Man if I could be on like the stunt team and like do more of my yeah. own stuff, which, you know, Bosk is going to show up. Dengar's going to be there. I don't know what happened to IG-88, but I bet they could get Taika Waititi back to do something. I don't know. Or like another, you just same, get another yeah. New Zealander to do it. You get like, <laughs> you get one of the other Flight of the Concords guys. Is it is it Tamir Morrison, New Zealand? Isn't that where he's? I think so. Yeah. Right. I I mean, I doesn't really. <laughs> let's not yeah. get him to do it. But I'm saying he's got to know Ooh, some people. Reese Darby. You get Reese Darby. Who's Reese Darby again? He's the manager on Flight of the Concords. He's also in. Yes. Oh, that the guy great. who welcomes everybody to Jumanji in the new Jumanjis. Oh, I didn't know he was in that movie. Actually, I still haven't seen the new Jumanjis. Oh, right, because you're a fool. Uh, I'll I'll agree at this point that I should have already probably seen one, if not both, of the newer Jumanjis. I mean, the second one's like, eh, but it's but fine. I, 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 I it's wanna, fine. I would watch the the original and the first remake one. I'm kind of scared to revisit the original, to be honest. Why? I feel like it's fire. not as good as I remember it being. Dude, I, what I had, you know me, I had a mini portable DVD player for road trips, just like any other white kid from Chicago, okay? Okay? Mm-hmm. And I watched Jumanji so many times, Garrett. I watched it so many times. I feel like I probably haven't seen Jumanji since it came out of a white clamshell. So whoa! All right, we need to we need to 
revisit it, maybe, because it is, it's great. Granted, there are insane magic implications about time travel and alternate dimensions and, you know, Robin Williams goes to the Oompa Loompa Land that Johnny Depp does in <laughs> Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, apparently. It's... What? <laughs> Do you not? Do you remember? Okay. Do you remember that flashback sequence in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate well, Factory? Well, I, I know. Yeah, I know that, and I know that obviously he goes to the jungle. That that place in Willy Wonka is exactly what I imagine when he describes that place that he goes to in the jungle, where there's like beasts and, and like giant bugs and stuff. Yeah, I will say. Um, actually, some of the lore is addressed in the new Jumanji. Oh, is it? And one of the only things I don't like about the new Jumanji is that it does not seem as horrifying as Alan. Uh, oh, hell describes. no. That, that, as a kid, that description freaked me out, man. Like, especially because, yeah. you know, the giant mosquitoes come through later and the... Yeah, like he's stuck on Skull Island, basically. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a nightmare. But shall we move on to our rec center this week? Let's do it. Now it's time to save the rec center, where we bring you our weekly recommendations. Seamus, you were already kind of teasing me a little bit about your rec center at the top of the show... But uh, let's hear it now in its in its full glory. Well, I didn't want to put it up top because this man is an actual horrible bastard man. But Robert <laughs> Durst also died in the span of time that it took for us to come back on the show. Those of you who don't know, famous crazy person and real estate heir, Manhattan real estate heir, excuse me, Robert Durst, was in jail awaiting more sentencing or more trial for for various terrible things that he did throughout his life, but I know him very well through the HBO miniseries The Jinx, which I believe came out in like 2015 or 2016, so it's a little older, but it is on HBO Max, and it is a true crime documentary about this man and all of the incredibly mysterious deaths that surround his entire life, pretty much. It's disturbing and very morbidly interesting because it's a lot of murder stuff. If you like true crime, it's right, you know, right here for you. And it's like inexplicably very funny because Robert Durst was just like, he's just the craziest man you will ever see on camera. And it's a very interesting documentary series because it is some of the most firsthand interview footage and audio that I've, you know, seen in a true crime project, you know, about the person speaking. So if you if you haven't yet given it a chance, go for it. There's a lot of great twists and turns. It's only six episodes, and it's fantastic. I remember that being one of the things that really kicked off the like true crime fad that we're still mm. kind of to riding the wave of. Um, yeah, and uh, definitely that true crime vibe of like, oh, maybe this entertainment project about this case might help solve a case that has been cold for so long. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil too much about the jinx itself, but there is definitely a lot in that documentary that I think helped get a little justice for for a lot of the victims of these cases. So, Well, I, 
I've never watched it, but I've always heard that it has one of the most satisfying docuseries endings oh, ever, so... My god, it is truly... you you. Th- it's like at the very last moment, too. It's like you think it's one way, and then boom, they hit you with the... Oh, highly recommended, Garrett. I'll, I just finished binge-watching it again in dishonor of the, <laughs> the death of Bob Durst, but I I would watch it again with you today if, if, if you wanted to. It is, it's something crazy. Well, I'll, I'll be sure to check it out uh, soon and hopefully maybe have you on over and we can <laughs> yes. we can take a look. But what do you got this week for the rec center? Well, I've been teasing you, intentionally not telling you, Shane, <laughs> yeah. for a couple weeks now, almost, I think. Uh, maybe about a, just a week, whatever. <laughs> Long enough that but, I'm still thinking about it. Well, today today's pop culture reference is uh, Eating Crow because oh? Steven Spielberg's West Side Story is one of the best movies uh, from 2021. What? It oh is, my god. You Breaking and I news. were incredibly <laughs> verbal about our skepticism uh, oh following, li- like, one, the idea of remaking West Side Story, two, um, how not good the trailers looked, three, the fact that uh, problematic King Ansel Elgort <laughs> was the lead, and while he is certainly the weakest performance in the entire piece it's not the production's fault that all kinds of incriminating stuff came out about him after they had wrapped shooting, mm. but it is explosive, vibrant, dynamic, soaring, movie, musical wow. goodness. It has completely eclipsed in the heights for me as the movie musical messiah. It's the best movie Spielberg has made in 20 years. Oh my um, god. This is this is a lot to take in, Garrett. I'm going to be honest. This is not what I was expecting. Seamus, I know. I, I am in <laughs> shock. But I kind of can't stop thinking about it. And this is the part that's really going to get me... Uh, my dad's going to probably yell at me. <laughs> I think it might be better than the original. A movie Whoa. that I think is incredible. Yeah, those, that's some that's big words, fella. You better, you better watch it. Like, you know how you and I so often talk about how Spielberg seems to have forgotten everything he's ever... Like, he used to be so innovative, and mm-hmm. his blocking and his kineticism of his sequences used to be, like, so tight. And we were like, man, where did that Spielberg go? Um, No, he's been hiding away somewhere. <laughs> he's been hiding in Manhattan. It's back. It's, That's wild, um, dude. It's crazy, man. It I, really, really is. I was going to see it over the winter break with my family, and then it was just kind of like, a, well, okay, I maybe. And then we never ended up doing it, and I so I am, I am, I'm shocked, truly. I, I hadn't heard too much. I heard it was good. I heard it was well done. I haven't heard too much on either extreme end, but, like, I'm so happy to hear that. You know, I remember, like, months and months ago, vividly I remember us going, like, what if this movie is incredible? And we were like, no, get out of here. There's no way. But we were like, what if? And now here we are. Like, I feel like this, 2021 was the year of directors, like, coming back and just being like, you know what? The best thing I've done in, like, a decade, (laughs) or in some cases, like, the only thing I've done. Spielberg is back with this. Joel Cohen's back with Tragedy Macbeth. Jane Campion's back with Power of the Dog. Like, it's just... The 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 all time masters are here and they are really bringing it. And there was some COVID reflection time for everybody, and then they were they came back out swinging. Yeah, I I I'm not going to the theater right now. Again, I'm back 
to, like, I don't think it's safe right now with all of the surges and Omicron and everything else. That shows no sign of slowing. But my my buddy Alex, he works at a movie theater, and he was, like, after closing one night, we went in and watched just the two of us. Nice. Uh, it was really fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, a movie I wouldn't have seen were probably were it not for that opportunity I got, and... I'm really also glad I saw it on the big screen. I and was I'm, gonna ask. I'm not. I'm not at all going to encourage a single person to go <laughs> out to a theater right now because it is so scary. But yeah, it is so like it's visually it, like it's so visually exciting. It's so loud. The music has so much energy to it. I think that's that's the thing that really I think gives it a, maybe a little bit. Of, first of all, Spielberg wasn't afraid to change things for uh, his adaptation, huh. which I liked. Move the order of things around, have entirely n- new or different things happen from the story that you're used to. But also that I feel like the staging and blocking of the musical numbers is so much more intricate and, and big and alive than it is in the in the old in the old film, which is saying something because, I mean, that is some of the most iconic musical numbers of all time. Mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I'm pretty confident when I can say that the staging of America in Steven Spielberg's West Side Story is better than the staging in wow. the 1961 version. When and did that movie come out? That sounds around the right time. I, I, that is one of my absolute favorite songs and sequences in the original. So I'm, I'm very, I'm so intrigued, Garrett. I, did they, did they do Officer Krupke? Did they do that justice? That's, that's also oh, one of my favorite. That, that is also favorites. that is a great one. Also, I think the staging is more dynamic. I mean, it helps. That they probably have what is a bigger budget. They have modern technology. They have, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, yeah. I'm not. It's not apples to apples. I still think the original West Side Story is is one of the great movie musicals. It's so influential. But another thing I really appreciated about Spielberg's West Side Story, which I just kind of alluded to, is the fact that he is not just doing the old one, which is I think what you and I both assumed this was going to be and why we were so dismissive of it outright i mean that's exactly what i was expecting and to know that it is whenever whenever there's like a remake of something i always turn it into like a defensive view of like it's a an attempt at a replacement but if it is squarely its own version of a story that was already based on a shakespeare play from hundreds of years ago and it can have it stand on its own two feet as what it is in apparently an absolute shining glory, then I am very excited, a lot more excited than I've ever been, frankly, knowing about this movie to go see it now that you've given it that endorsement. I'm guessing it won't be playing for much longer regardless because it is making absolutely no money. And Um, and when I say go see, I definitely mean wait for HBO? Who gets that? Well, it's a Disney, right? So um, it's a Fox. It's a Fox. It's a Fox, so... Hulu or Disney Plus, one of the two. I've got them um, both. I, I'll probably be buying it if I'm being honest. Like, wow. I really was taken with it. And Seamus, I would absolutely love to watch it with you when it comes yes, out. Yes, please, yes. I'm itching to see it again. If it were normal times, I would have already gone to see it again <laughs> at least once. Um, well, I, I definitely want to get a rewatch of the original under my belt before because it's been a good while, but I I'm very excited, man. 
Thank you for. I would thank love you for that bringing this to too. my attention. Also, yeah. I, like, let's do. Maybe we should do that together too. Because do a um, double feature, do like a six-hour double feature. I think no. I think like letting them breathe from each other. Maybe you, maybe like you and I prioritize watching the new one or the old one first, like now-ish, and then wait till like March or whenever the Blu-ray comes out. That's actually a really good idea. Let's do that. Let's do that. So yeah, th- both great films. I'm not trying to knock obviously the original mm. at all. It's still a stone-cold classic and deserving of all the praise it gets, but Steven Spielberg's West Side Story is definitively his own, and I am so shocked and delighted that I am completely taken with it. Dude, me too. I'm, I'm glad we're making these plans. I'm, I'm very excited to, to see it and see it with you and probably see it on Blu-ray uh, from your collection at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. I cannot wait. But I think that wraps up our show for today. If you want to reach us on social media, that's at PCR underscore podcast on Instagram, on Twitter, and on TikTok. And if you want to email the show, you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com with any questions or comments about what you hear. Next week, we're going to be talking about the first two adult novels in the Star Wars The High Republic series. That would be Light of the Jedi and The Rising Storm. We will probably be talking about some of the other satellite material that either of us have consumed from that era, but mostly we're going to be talking about those novels, which I'm really excited to discuss with you, Seamus. Yeah, this is this is going to be a whole different breed of Star Wars than we got today, and I'm I'm very excited to kind of see the, the breadth of this new era, even with the stuff we're getting now on TV and these incredible books. Yeah, um, I'm ex- I, we gotta get off the off the show so you can go finish Rising yeah. Storm. <laughs> yes, yes. And I'm so excited. Uh, see you next week. And for the first time in 2022, adios, amigos. 